Welcome to the Apostolic Girl Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Johnson. The topic of today's show is fairly graphic. Now would be a great time to grab your headphones and listen in. Hi, Sister Linda. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sister Kelly. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm so glad you decided to join me today. Well, thank you for the honor. It really is an honor to be invited. <laughs> Why don't you tell the audience how you became an apostolic, Linda? Okay. Uh, well, I was born and raised in Springfield, Ohio, and um, I'm one of eight <laughs> and wow. I'm a twin. I have an identical twin sister. Oh, and wow. um, my, um, my dad was an apostolic pastor. And so from, uh, I think when I was about nine years old or so, he started pastoring and for most of my life, okay. he was my pastor up until the time I got married. And so, um, that's how so like my dad and I were really close. Of course I was close to my mom too, but my dad would go out and preach. And a lot of times I would go with him because I play the piano and organ and I sang. And, um, and then when I, was, um, I don't know how old I was when I met my husband, I was probably 26, maybe, um, a lady okay. that grew up in Ohio, uh, where I was born and raised, she moved to North Carolina and went to the church where my husband was. And so they brought a picture of him up to um, Ohio and that's how my husband and I met. That was the really? days of, you know, the actual picture. So I sent a picture back, <laughs> ne never expecting to hear from him. And um, so that's how we met, but that's, you know, my dad, like I said, he was my pastor up until I was 28. And so um, wow. you know, it gives me a unique perspective. Um not only just from a saint's view, but from uh, a preacher's kid's view and seeing and um, it gives you a whole new respect for ministry, you know, when you live it. And so um, that's, you know, I always saw my mom and dad in ministry. My mom was, did not want to be in the limelight, but she was behind the scenes and, um, they fostered children, um, wow. several children. And, and then those were the days when we had, you know, revivals that lasted six weeks and it was every night and wow. they would stay in the pastor's home. So we would have sometimes uh, an evangelist, sometimes if they had a family, you know, they may be there for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so. I had an awesome childhood growing up. I think that foundation and that I had as a child kind of helped prepare me for um, some of the things that I've been through. And, and with that being said, that's, uh, you know, I think it's critical that we instill in our children that foundation because it's going to carry them even through life at my age, you know, all these years mm -hmm. later, it has helped me to, to get through this. I'm so grateful that you, again, that you would come on to my podcast today and share 
your very difficult journey with us. Are you okay with taking us back to what happened seven months ago? There are people that don't yeah, know you on Instagram. Right. I kind of need to give a backstory to it to please, let you know. Yeah, please do that. Um, how how my husband might got to that point both of my children were born it's called neurofibromatosis which basically is that causes tumors um on the body it can be internal external and it can be a very devastating disease oh his dad had it his dad's mom had it so it was passed down from generation well um caleb really hasn't had uh very many problems with it it can cause all kinds of things but he's been pretty stable it caused that big of a deal but now with brooke um when she was four she was enrolled in a study and they found a brain tumor. Well, we had a special I felt this overwhelming urge to get her prayed for. And it was really crowded. And I just felt like I was like the lady with the issue of blood trying to get through to the front. And I told Brother Mike Easter, who was preaching the revival, what she'd been diagnosed with that she had this brain tumor and it could cause blindness. It could be really bad. And so he prayed for her and I took her back for an MRI and God healed her. The tumor was gone. Praise God. So I found a tumor on her spine and she had her first mm-hmm. surgery, probably uh, six to eight months later, she had to have the second surgery so she was 12 then. And when she was 16, they, um, she had a degree curve of her thoracic spine. It was very bad. And the surgeon wow. told us, they, he said, if you don't have this corrected, um, she's going to be permanently paralyzed. Well, of course, I mean, you're going to mm-hmm. say yes. Mm-hmm. It was like a 12 hour surgery. And I had laryngitis at the time. Um, I could hardly talk and, you know, our pastor was there and different people, family members. And so when the surgeon came out at, um, around seven o'clock that night, seven 30, I noticed that he looked really tired. And I thought he mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. you know, we did the surgery, but while we we're monitoring the nerves in our legs and arms and everything, he said, we lost the signal to our legs. I found out later they actually woke her up during the surgery to see if she could move her legs. She doesn't remember oh. that, but, and she was paralyzed. Oh my goodness. And the doctor said, he said, if you know how to pray, you need to pray. And so I had laryngitis, couldn't hardly talk. Mike couldn't make phone calls. His mom was crying and screaming, which I understand. Mm. I wanted to do that too. And, so I called our pastor, Brother Godair, Kenny Godair, and they could hardly understand me. They were on their way to a youth service. And mm-hmm. finally, they got out that I said paralyzed, and they immediately came to the hospital. And I called my family. And so, make a long story short, um, she was paralyzed from her waist down. 
ended up with pneumonia. Her lung collapsed. She got septic. She almost died three times. She was on the vent. They couldn't get her off, and they had to do a trach to. She was in ICU a month, and then in rehab for five weeks. And I remember nights that when it was just me there, I would lay there and cry. I thank God I I don't understand. And I even told my dad, I said, Dad, I don't understand. I said in the Bible, all it took was somebody being in the shadow of Peter and they were healed. Why won't God heal her? And um, but I made up my mind. I made up my mind when she was in ICU. I thought, you know what? I will never allow myself to get bitter. I will not. I, if she lives, if she dies, if she's paralyzed the rest of her life, I will not become bitter. And I didn't. Well, um, she came home from the hospital and ended up God did a miracle and she's made a recovery. So, wow. you know, it's a miracle. Wow. She's had three Praise surgeries God. since then. My husband got very bitter towards God and because she was paralyzed and he, he railed against God. Like, God, why would you do this? You're supposed to be a good God. I don't understand. You know, I, I've served you and I've been faithful and here my daughter is laying here paralyzed. And so he, that started his journey with bitterness and even when she was healed, he was still bitter. And I think, you know, that scripture, it says, don't let a root of bitterness mm -hmm. get in you mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that root's going to grow. And I, I remember talking to him so many times saying, Mike, you've got to get this bitterness out of you or it is going to destroy you. Mm. And that, and he never did. So as time went on, um, I, three years ago in March, um, I was diagnosed with a very rare cancer, um, in my thigh and <laughs> my hip area. And, um, the only reason they found it was because I had an MRI for another reason and they found it. I had no symptoms and they said, wow. waited until there were symptoms, it would be too late. And, um, wow. so even then when I was diagnosed with cancer, my husband would, you know, he would say, I just don't understand why God would allow this to happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I would tell him, don't say that, you know, good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. It's, mm -hmm. it's just the way it is. It's life. Mm -hmm. So the, I could see this bitterness growing in him mm -hmm. with every, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, obstacle or every bad thing that Trial. seemed to come our way. Okay. So in 2019, Brooke had to have two more surgeries where they removed the rods and they had to put the rods back in. Mm -hmm. And then um, this past year, to kind of bring it up to date. So this past year in, in February, both rods were broken in her back and they had to replace wow. them. So that increased his bitterness even more. Like, oh, wow. So a Memorial Day weekend, um, um, 
Brooke and I had gone to Ohio. Brother Godair, without going into too much detail about this situation, but I had gone to the Godairs and talked to them. It was a Friday. And I told them that I was planning on going to Ohio that weekend. And he all the Godairs said, Linda, you need to get out of town now. You need to leave. You and Brooke, you need to get out of town. So um, we did. And um, so Mike was home and there were some issues. Some We were having some problems in our marriage. And so he had called me multiple times and, um, but I knew that he wasn't being completely honest with me. And, um, so he went to church that weekend. Do anything was wrong on Monday morning, um, Memorial day, he sent me a text and I believe now that was his suicide note. And, I feel really guilty because um, I look back and think, you know, should I have done something differently? I don't think it would have changed the outcome. And so nobody heard from him after Monday morning. Um, And I didn't hear from him. Well, on Tuesday morning, um, Brooke and I were at my mom's and we were upstairs and I get a text from his boss and he said, is everything okay? Mike didn't show up for work. And I knew then that something was wrong. I just knew it. And so I called our school and I said, can you just go check on him? He said, yeah. So he went in the house and found Mike in the bedroom and he had shot himself And I'll never forget when he called me and he said, Linda, he shot himself. And the world instantly fell apart. I just remember, I didn't even know this was in me, but I just remember hollering like, no, no, no. That's all I could. Brooke ran out of the room. She said she thought if she ran out of the room, it wouldn't be real. And so she called my son who was in Canada and told him. So, you know, my parents were there and my family, my sisters and stuff, they came over and I had to leave to go back to Ohio that day. And that's the, it was a seven hour trip. And so my sister rode with me and, you know, it was just, I mean, how do you process that? I don't, I don't even know. I mean, I remember, I felt like I was in a, um, a daze and we drove back to North Carolina and, and the next day, uh, we went to the funeral home and, um, and just walking in the funeral home for my husband, who was only 55 years old. And to die in such a tragic way, you know, it it was just so, and 
Brother Sister Gator went with us to the funeral home and you know, I told the funeral director, you know, Mike had told me and my kids had heard him say this, that he wanted to be uh, cremated. I didn't, and let me back a bit from that. So before he committed suicide, I probably should have said this before, but probably in the last couple of years, he'd been telling me, you know, I hate my life. I, I wish I'd never wake up. I just, you know, I, I hate everything about my life. And he was really, really depressed. And I begged him to get help. I begged him, Mike, please go talk to Pastor. Oh, I mean, talk to somebody and he would not do it. So, um, and I think one reason is because I, there's a stigma around depression and you probably know this, but there's a stigma around that. And especially in the church, because it's been swept under the rug and people are made to feel maybe I'm stepping out of bounds here. I don't know. But, you know, you'll hear preachers say, well, you just need to pray through. You just need to pray more. Well, sometimes it's more than that. You know, yeah, you need to pray and you need to pray through. But sometimes people need help. You know, I read a saying, there's nothing wrong with having Jesus and a counselor. <laughs> and so, but especially for men, you know, um, there's that, I feel like that, that shame with it. And um, so, you know, with him actually doing that he had made a suicide attempt before that I had kept secret because I was ashamed but he had taken an overdose and um and one other time he had the gun out and said that he was going to kill himself I wasn't home then um but he called brother Godair at that time and brother Godair prayed for him and he and he seemed to get okay so it wasn't the first time that he had um tried and when we you know the police that the day that it happened detectives called me and the police and and they were asking me all kinds of stuff and they took his phone well when I got his phone back I saw that um he had been researching that weekend um how to uh about commit suicide you know why can't I kill myself and and that he had looked up uh an overdose of a of some medication that he had. And when I came home, that medication was gone and he had a lot of it. So I think he even took a, a, he did an attempt prior to the, the gunshot that weekend. I can't say that for a hundred percent sure, but I think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, You know, our church, we have service on Tuesday nights and I, of course we weren't there, but because it happened on a Tuesday um, that night at church, brother Godair couldn't even have service that he was so upset. He just came in and they dimmed the lights and they, he said, this is the worst day of my ministry. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, we're just going to pray for the Bristow family. And so, um, it really affected our church because 99% of them didn't 
didn't even realize that Mike was having any issues because he hid it so well. Mm -hmm. And so they were so just dumbfounded. I mean, it really shook our church, but the church Mm -hmm. pulled together, you know, they helped me through that. And so, you know, the days and the weeks following that, Mm -hmm. I didn't even know, I, I didn't even know how to process it. You know, and initially you're kind of busy because you've got the funeral, mm-hmm. you've got the life insurance, you, you've got to, uh, you know, I didn't want to stay in my house. So I on the market, um, you know, so you're dealing with all that, that. So when things start to slow down a little bit and you're really able to think about really what happened, your life has changed and he's never coming back. And, um, uh, maybe this is too raw, but, you know, they asked me if I wanted to see his body and I said, no, I do not. And I feel kind of bad about that. But I also said, I don't want that to be the last memory for me. Now my kids, they wanted to, and I said, that's fine. They needed needed it for some type of closure, a little bit of closure. Um, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't go with them and I feel bad about that too, but I just could not do it. And Mm -hmm. so, but everybody deals with it in their own way. But, um, you know, and then in August, uh, my dad and mom both got diagnosed with COVID. My dad ended up in the hospital. He was in there for three weeks and, um, he ended up dying from COVID. But I look at his death and Mike's death differently because my dad was ready to go. He's, in fact, the day he died, he said, I want all this off. He said, I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm tired. And we were able to s- stand around his bedside, all of whoever wanted to be there and pray. So I had a comfort with my dad's death that I do not have with Mike. In fact, A few weeks after Mike died, Mm -hmm. I had this dream. I've had like two dreams about Mike, but the second dream I had, I dreamed that that he came back from hell and all I could see was his face and it was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And he was telling me how awful hell was he's talked about the torment and the screaming and the demons and oh, and the burning. Oh, it was, I can still see in my mind. Um, I'll never get that out of my mind. When I, and then he, after he told me that, then he disappeared. Well, when I woke up, I started sobbing. I thought, God, why would I have a dream like that? Why? And I, I don't know why I had that dream, but it was horrible. Well, unbeknownst to me, Brooke had had a dream two nights before that about Mike. And she dreamed that she was in the room with Mike when he shot himself. And that, as she said, as soon as that happened, he looked at her, of course, I guess his spirit or what, I don't know, looked at her and said, Brooke, help me, help me, help me. And she said that she could see 
these demons and these chains coming up from the ground and the chains started wrapping around him and they just pulled him down into hell. Well, I didn't know she'd had that dream, but when I had the dream, I told her about it. So that, that same week we both had a dream. So I don't really know why I had that dream, but you know, hell is real. And I know people have different philosophies about what happens with suicide um, people, what happens after death and that, you know, everybody can have their own belief about that. Mm-hmm. I personally feel like if you do that, then you're not saved, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, whatever, I can't, all I can say is that, you know, he's in the hands of a just God. And when brother Godier preached his funeral, you know, he just said, he gave a lot of Mike's good points, but he said, and I'm going to leave it at that. You know, mm-hmm. I can't, we can't change it. What's happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, um, you know, suicide and depression, because my daughter has dealt with depression too. Mm-hmm. And um, she's very open about that, about mm-hmm. her her journey with depression and uh, suicidal thoughts and all that. And so, um, but I kind of digress from all that, but my, when my dad died, then that really kind of threw me for a loop mm-hmm. because it was two deaths of two very important men in my life within three months of each other. And so for a while I kind of got lost um, after way? my dad died for several months until just probably about two or three weeks, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could pray. When I went to church, I went through the motions. I was there. I did what I was supposed to do, but inside I just felt dead. I felt like there was no passion whatsoever, none, but I kept going, even though it was Mm -hmm. sometimes a struggle to go. Like part of me, was like, I just don't even want to go because I can't, I don't feel like I'm contributing anything. I don't feel like I'm feeling God. I felt like God was a million miles away that people didn't really understand. Um, and I kind of got, um, I felt like I was drowned. Couldn't I couldn't find that solid ground to get onto. I mean, I knew God was there, but I couldn't feel him. Mm-hmm. And I felt dead inside. And I and I'm sure that's part normal for the grieving process. My husband was over the sound ministry at our church. He was a very good sound man. And so when I would be on the platform singing or playing or whatever, I'd look back there and he's not there. Mm. That was hard. Well, when he died, of course, then I'm immediately, I'm, I'm going to be out of leadership because um, he's not there. And so Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I'd been used to being in that role for so many years and all of a sudden that stripped away from me. And and I understand why is because it was a team effort. It was a husband and wife effort mm-hmm. that we did that. So I, I get that, but still it was 
part of my identity, if that makes sense. Of course. So um, I would bake cookies for the people in church and they would, in fact, I have people want them now and they would recognize the containers they were in and they'd come up, oh, those cookies, I want those cookies, you know. So people would want me to bake for them. Well, I've only baked twice since Mike died. And the first time Mike, I did, I cried. Because it just brings back those memories and it can be something so little to trigger that. And I've really had to fight um, not becoming bitter. I think it was about three yeah. weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, whatever. Um, Brother Godair had a young minister in our church. He preached, it was on a Tuesday night. And I knew as soon as he walked to the pulpit that God was going to, it was going to be a life-changing service for me. I knew, I don't, I don't even know how I knew it, but I knew it. I, I thought this is going to be it. I'm going to get my breakthrough. And he, he preached about how Jesus in the garden, you know, they came for him and how Jesus had to drink that bitter cup. He didn't want to, because mm-hmm. he said, let this cup pass from me. But um, um, he had to drink it. And brother Antonio said, he said, some of you have these bitter cups. He said, and you have to drink it because if you don't, you're not going to get where you need to be in God. And if you drink it, God's going to give you. And so I cried almost to the whole message. At altar call, I went up and I thought, you know what? I do not care. I don't care what people around me are doing, what they're saying. I don't care. I have to get a breakthrough. I I felt like my life depended on it. And in some ways it did. And so I prayed and, and, um, and God gave me that breakthrough. I felt the power of God like I had not felt in nine months or eight, eight months at that time. And I spoke in tongues and it, it, it was like, you know, Amanda Collins, you've had her on your, was praying with me. And she even told me, I told her, I said, Amanda, I felt like the heaviness just left me. She said, Linda, I could feel it leaving you. Wow. And after that service, well, brother Goodyear prayed for me and he told me, he said, during the prayer, he said, God's going to restore your peace, your joy. And in October, I'd gone to my best friend. Their church was having an anniversary service and their pastor who I've known for 40 some years, he prayed for me and he told me the same thing. He said, Linda, God's going to restore everything you've lost and it's going to be miraculous. And so when brother Gator said that to me that Tuesday night, it was just confirmation for me. And I, I was a different person. I'm a different person now. I feel that joy and that peace doesn't mean that there's not hard days. Of course, there's hard days. I've cried since then about Mike and it's not like I'm ever going to forget him, but Mm -hmm. God has given me my joy and peace back and my happiness and zest for life. I feel like a new person. And every time I think about it, but how merciful God was, you know, it's like that song, you know, all my life you've been faithful mm-hmm. and I can look back 
of course, my journey is not over, but I can look back over the last almost nine months and I can see how God has been there and has helped bring me through, even though I failed him and I made mistakes during that time. God has been faithful and I've learned some really valuable lessons during this time. And um, one of the lessons I've learned, I feel like, you know, the good Samaritan in the Bible, how the man was wounded and beaten and left for dead. Mm -hmm. And the priest came by, the Levite came by. And here's this good Samaritan that comes by that shouldn't have probably even been allowed to be near this man. He went and had compassion on him. And the thing is, is that that man was so wounded, he could not go get help for himself. He couldn't do it. Right. And the man, the good Samaritan had to come to him, pour mm-hmm. the oil in, bind his wounds, put him on his donkey, take him to the inn and mm-hmm. say, take care of him and I'll pay you if there's any, uh, you know, more that you need. I'll pay you when I come back. My lesson for my, what that means to me is, is that we have to be aware, more aware of people that are hurting. They may not necessarily show, they're not going to necessarily come to you and say, I need help because they can't. They're so wounded. Mm. I couldn't. Your tendency is just isolate, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. if we as a church, I think we need to do better. And I'm talking to myself too. We need, there are broken people on our churches and it's not just the people that's coming in world. It's people Mm -hmm. sitting on the pew. Brother Cody Marks preached a message called dying in silence. He preached Mm -hmm. it a year and one day to the date that Mike killed himself. And I remember when he preached that message at our church, I remember sitting there thinking this message is from Mike. And after Mike died, I went back and listened to that message and it was eerie. It was almost mm-hmm. prophetic. Wow. It said, you know, there's people that are dying in silent position in the church. If I go to the altar, what are mm-hmm. people going to think, you know, and there is, he said, we built this culture of shame. We need to be, and some people are not going to re- accept the help. I think our job is to reach mm-hmm. out and just to be kind. You don't know what people are facing. They can look like they have it all together. Mike did, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. Not from the outside. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had a great job. We had a nice home. We had nice cars. Um, he was using the church. I, so people didn't know, you know, I think we need to pray for sensitivity because you just don't know what people are, they can put a, put up a facade, you know, and I've heard about, mm-hmm. you know, even uh, pastors and pastors, wives, ministers, wives, that are, and just lay people that are dealing with this that have even committed suicide, mm-hmm. which is so sad to me. And anytime I hear that, it breaks my heart because I know, I know what, those surviving family members and, and, uh, what they're dealing with. And so, you know, 
I, I, like I said, I've learned a lot of those valuable lessons. That's that I think just learning to be sensitive. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. So how would someone, if we could rewind the clock back, how would someone in the church know how to help Mike? Like you said, so he's in the sound booth and the message was for him and he doesn't respond for whatever reason. Either he's Mm -hmm. fighting bitterness or maybe he's just ashamed to go to the front because he's in ministry. How would someone, when you say be kind, how would some, how could he get help? How would someone help? And here's why I'm asking. And here's why I'm asking. So you'll understand the question better. I'm asking because as someone that suffers from depression, everyone's kind to me all the time. I get so much kindness. It's unreal. Right. That doesn't help my depression. And so, and and I'm not even, I, I need to stop saying my depression. That's something new that God's teaching me. That doesn't help when the attacks come. The right. depressive, depressive episodes, maybe let's call it right. Um, so I'm not sure how kindness from people or kindness toward Mike. I want you to elaborate on that. Like, what are you thinking well, and feeling as a survivor? Well, when I say kindness, I think I'm just speaking more in general. But now, as far as Mike goes, mm-hmm. you know. That's a really tough question because I think from what I observed with Mike mm-hmm. would was that he would he would uh, isolate himself mm-hmm. and so even though I think some people realized that something was going on with him, mm-hmm. I think they weren't quite sure how to approach it I think I think that if somebody I'll just use him as the example I think if maybe if somebody had gone to him that was that he felt like he could trust Mm -hmm. that was a good friend would have said Mike I noticed that you seem withdrawn or you seem angry you seem resentful with because he would get, um, because he was over the sound booth and that entailed a lot. And, Mm -hmm. and he would unlock the church. Uh, he unlocked the church almost every service when he was there over an hour early, every service unlocking the church. He was never asked to do that. It's something Mm -hmm. he wanted to do, but as time went on, he felt like the, all his duties at the church, you know, it kind of would put him in a bad mood. And Mm -hmm. so, he would get angry. And so I know that there were people that noticed that. So I think maybe if somebody would have said, Mike, I've noticed this, what can I do to help you? Can I, you know, let's talk about it now, whether or not some accountability check-in right now, whether or not it would have helped, I don't know. Something like that happened in my life not too long ago where um, I was leaving church quickly after the altar call, just kind of yeah. stepping out the back door and isolating myself. And my son, my, my middle son said to me um, after months of noticing it, mom, you need to stay in fellowship. And, um, and just him holding me accountable like that, like, and I, and I blamed it on something else. I'm like, no, your dad wants to leave right away. And he's like, well, you need to 
just kind of asked dad in a nice way if he wouldn't mind staying for a little while. And it was my son asking me that. So I said, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll do that. And the next service, I knew my son was watching me from across the aisles. And so so I stayed for a little while in a fellowship. And, you know, I continued to do that. And it pulled me out of my isolation. And it really did help um, mentally with with the with just the the struggles. And so I I absolutely 100 agree, 100 percent agree with what you're saying, that if someone may have noticed that on Mike in the church, um, perhaps just calling that out in a, in a different kind of a way. I don't know what they would have said, but yes, I, I think that's so good. Like just absolutely being sensitive to people that God has put you in close connection with. Like not everyone was going to notice that on me or on Mike, but, um, but there yeah. are people that are close to you that could have noticed, you know? Yeah. And he was doing that. And, and, during this time, I've also been doing that too. Mm-hmm. Partly because I just didn't want to talk. Yeah. I didn't want, I, I did not. And even, um, it's not that I mind talking about uh, what happened. I didn't want to talk about me. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to talk about how I was dealing with this, what mm-hmm. I was going mm-hmm. through. Because, okay. Um, I had some struggles internally that I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. I feel like since I had my breakthrough, you know, God really touched me and um, in a mighty way that I'm not having those struggles like that. I still Amen. don't, I still, I stay around a little bit longer now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to be more conscious of that. Mm-hmm. Because it is my, it has been my tendency in the last few months to just, as soon as church is over, just to go, mm-hmm. to leave. Because I don't want to be, um, I, I, I felt like I didn't want to be bothered, you know? Mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't, that, I don't know, I was embarrassed or ashamed. Yeah. I don't know what, how really to describe it, but... Yeah. That is one thing that, you know, Mike started uh, doing. Yeah. And so, and even his worship changed. Mm. And, uh, you know, he wasn't worshiping like he was. I felt like it was just a put on, you know, mm-hmm. that he really wasn't sincere about it at all. He wasn't praying. Mm-hmm. He was doing stuff that he knew that Brother Godair preached against. Um, you know, he, he had Hollywood in our home and, and he knew Brother Godair preached against it. And, mm-hmm. and that was part of the, part of the reason he, of his, uh, demise too, I feel like is wow. the rebellion. Yeah. And so, but you got, if you have rebellion and bitterness together, mm-hmm. then that is a lethal combination. And it was lethal in his, his, um, you know, his outcome. So I think, um, when I say be kind, I just Mm -hmm. think we need to be kind to people because you don't know what they're dealing with. But when it comes to people that you're associating with in, you know, week in and week out, Mm -hmm. I think, especially in the church, because, you know, we go 
we're there three, four times a week or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, I think we need to be, I think we need to pray for that spirit of discernment just to know, okay, I see somebody struggling. Like there's this lady in our church who I love, 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 love. She's probably one of my favorite people in the church. She's an older lady, but oh my goodness, she comes up to me and she gives me the best hugs. And she tells me, Linda, I'm praying for you and Brooke and your family. And I hear her calling my name in the prayer room. Wow. And so that means so much to me. And I know Mm -hmm. uh, there's other people praying too. Don't get me wrong. But she makes a point of coming up to me and saying, I'm praying for you. You're going to be okay. And, you know, uh, I'm going back in the nursing. I've been an RN for 37 years, but I got out of it for several years. So Mm -hmm. I'm in the process of um, reactivating my nursing license. Hopefully I'll be done in about a month, I hope. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when I get that, I don't know what direction I'm going to go in. I feel like I need a fresh start. And I've told the brothers to go, I get done with this, that I may be moving. um, Because there's just a lot of memories here, you know? And so she, she has told me multiple, Sister Smith is her name. She has told me multiple times. She'll say, Sister Linda, she said, when it comes time for you to make that decision, God is going to make it clear to you what you need to do. And she tells me that over and over again. And she tells me how much she loves me. And just that may seem small, mm-hmm. but knowing that she is, I know she's praying for me. I hear her calling mm-hmm. my name. And That's so beautiful. I think, I think as a body of Christ and a body of believers, especially in the local church, that if we can just try to connect with those people that we know that maybe has gone through a death or, you know, a death in their family. And there's been a lot of loss with this COVID stuff, you know, and, um, uh, or they're struggling with whatever. I think if we can be more sensitive as a body and just let them know now, you know, it's up to that person whether or not they accept it. But I think it's important mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. reach out and say, mm-hmm. I'm praying for you. And to us, sometimes that almost seems like an afterthought, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the greatest things we can do for each other is to pray for them. Because a lot of times God is the only one that can uh, make that difference. Like with me, when I had that breakthrough, you yes. know, Um I mean, I could talk all day true. long to a counselor, which I have been talking to an apostolic counselor throughout this, um, the last eight and a half months. But when it comes right down to it, God is the difference. Yeah, so, but I think if healer. we can be Amen. there to hold their hands up, yeah, you know, and hold them up in prayer, um, I, I think maybe we can make a difference. I mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I, I don't see why we couldn't try to do that. But Sister Linda, do not move. Please don't move. And let me tell you why. Because I have had several friends throughout the years who have become widows. And they move. Uh-huh. And 
I don't know if they move because of the memories or if they move because they can't financially afford it in that area anymore alone. But to the congregation, it's like losing two people. And it's, it's hard. Like we grow to love you individually. I know you felt connected right. as a team. Right. But you're loved alone for who you are. And so that would be another loss to the congregation. And so I'm just right. encouraging you. I'm not even part of your congregation, but I know right. every right. time a widow, a widower has moved from our congregation, it's just broken my heart again a second time. So I just would encourage you to, to well, and one of the reasons through those memories. Go yeah, ahead. but one of the reasons that I've considered moving is because of my my mom in Ohio. You know, I mm. I have regrets that I didn't spend enough time with my dad. So I thought, mm-hmm. you know, and Brother Goder even told me a few months ago. He said, Linda, if you decide that you want to go to Ohio to be with your mom, we completely mm-hmm. understand. I, part of me wants to spend as much time with her while she's still alive. And it may be, you know, I'm praying that God gives me direction and whatever his will is, then that's what I want. If it's his will for me to move, then yes. If it's his will for me to stay here, then I'll do that too. Let's go back to what you were saying. I want to, I want to revisit what you said earlier in our conversation about having those dreams and seeing him coming back from hell. Uh Um, I don't know what happens to people when they commit suicide. We are going to stop there. Please be sure to listen in to episode number 85 for part two.